economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show today. I'm Nate Johnson, the producer and graduate assistant for the Gortney Institute. We have uh, Dr. Russell McCullough, the founder of the Gortney Institute and Wayne Angel, chair of economics. Also joining us is Justin Clark, the Menard family professor of philosophy and economics. And finally, Peter Jacobson, the professor in economic education, uh, the professor of economic education and research. I need a little polishing there, Nate, but uh, so <laughs> ethics is the E for J Dr. Justin Clark here. He's our philosophy guy. All right, well, welcome, fans. Uh, we're going to talk about hedonism today, which sounds kind of fun. So, uh, Justin, what did you have in mind? Uh, so, when most people hear hedonism, they usually get the wrong idea about what hedonism actually is philosophically. So, hedonism is a theory of well-being. Um, and, you know, we all a want... A theory of well-being? A theory of well-being. Like, consuming stuff makes me feel good and... That's what I like. No. Okay. <laughs> um, Continue on. Hedonism is the theory that uh, you are well off to the extent and only because you are happy. That happiness is uh, well-being. Does that make sense? Uh, I'm working on it. Uh, so you can string together a bunch of short-term happiness things and that's happy? Is that hedonism or is that falling under the theory? That is, uh, that's unrelated to the theory, right? Oh, uh, so you are, you are talking about <laughs> what makes a person happy. Okay. Right? Hedonism is a theory about what makes a person well off, right? And by well-being, we mean something like what makes a life worth living, right? Okay. And so hedonism is the theory. I mean, that, could we throw the word human flourishing or whatever, kind of long-term happiness, Aristotle-type stuff too, or? Uh, I mean... Could, but that's a different theory of well-being. Oh boy! Okay. Right? Um, the Aristotelian theory of well-being is that you are well off. I mean, Aristotle actually has two different versions of this, but um, Aristotle, one of his versions, says that you are well off when you are flourishing, and flourishing means exercising all your capabilities to their greatest um, uh, to the greatest degree that you can. And those are with the virtues. Uh, yeah, the other, the other, the other set version is uh like oh that's the other version theory, with right? the virtues yeah um but hedonism is a different theory hedonism says you are well off and your life you are living a life that's worth living to the extent that you are happy okay so happiness is the key and the only ingredient to well-being so, and, and it's your internal clock that's measuring that i'd assume uh oh boy <laughs> i love what he pauses that's well, then we have arguments about what happiness is, okay. right? Um, and I think the most plausible theory of happiness is what you just articulated, that happiness is the kind of thing that you are um, immediately aware of, right? You know that you're happy when you're happy. Um, you know that you're not happy when you're not happy. It is a, a subjective state that you have immediate access to. 
Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So what I'm hearing you say, oftentimes when people say hedonism, they're thinking of like these short term and sometimes, you know, even destructive ways of like becoming happy. And so like, you know, short term pleasures. I'm thinking naked on the beach in Jamaica. <laughs> yeah, I think like there's actually a resort. Yeah, it's called yeah. club hedonism. I've but seen it. Everywhere. I've been there multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> what I hear you say, though, is that that's actually that might be a, that might fit under hedonism if that correctly did, did make someone happy, but hedonism is actually, as a philosophical concept, much more broad than just that sort of understanding. Yes, exactly. So uh, John Stuart Mill was, you know, gives a defense of hedonism, and he says, like, you know, physical pleasures are great, but what really makes, you know, what really makes you happy are these uh, higher pleasures, like uh, mathematics and things like that. And, you know, and I love explaining this to students and telling <laughs> yeah, them, you know, on Friday night, I know, that. you know, you think beer is awesome, but yeah. wait until you read a, you know, a proof from the, you know, Yeah. Unfortunately, I can actually relate to that. So that does make me, even though I don't like to claim myself as an academic, but I have, I have been happy off of mathematics before. So I guess I've participated a little bit. Are you <laughs> doing mathematics? Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so, um, so it's really easy to describe what hedonism is, right? And it has this kind of intuitive appeal because everybody wants to be happy, right? Um, you know, yeah. I mean, if, if you ask people what happiness is, I mean, it's just a psychological state that is desirable, right? But hedonism is a really strong theory. And so before, uh, it says not just that happiness is desirable and that, you know, it's hard to have a life that's worth living without happiness, but that happiness is the only thing that makes you well off and you are well off to the extent that you are happy. I wonder if it's so broad, though, that it, it becomes almost meaningless because like, you know, we, and you mentioned this before that it, it can extend outside of just the short term. And so like I could do something that in the short term makes me very unhappy uh, with the knowledge that in the long term, I'm going to be very happy for it. And this seems like, you know, it could also fit into hedonism so long as I define the end state as happy enough that it, you know, sacrifices or it, it outweighs the unhappiness right now. And so, I mean, anything that we define as happy is, doesn't that fall under it? Is it too broad to make it? So it's basically drinking plan? versus running in my mind, what you just said. So uh, you drink, it gives you short-term happiness, but it puts a few pounds on. And then the next day you might be not happy until you drink again. <laughs> but... The running part, uh, it doesn't feel good when you're doing it, but you're doing it for the long term. I, I just, this is hitting home for me because I just did, did my second run in the last three days and it wasn't a very good run, but nonetheless, I felt better about myself. I started to get that reinforcement that I had a little more energy. And so you do some things that might be painful now that give you the longer term happiness versus some other things that might be short term in nature, but not necessarily long term. So it kind of sounds like both of you are accepting hedonism and then trying to say, uh, well, what would make me happiest long term? You know, uh, okay. you know, how do I maximize happiness? It. Yeah. Um, now, I think that hedonism is an incorrect theory of well-being. Okay. And so I don't even think the theory works, mm-hmm. but it's plausible because everybody does want to be happy. And, uh, you know, like with your drinking versus running example, that uh, when you say that, you're saying like, well, you know, I mean, like Mill would say, of course you want to run. I mean, drinking is fun for, you know, 
this song about running makes you healthy overall. And I would say, you know, what you want to do is drink and then and then run from the police. Right. Um, <laughs> but, Maybe it's the economist in me. But the, the, the weird thing with me with this is once you get into sort of the idea of reveal preference, uh, which is that, you know, people do that thing which they think is going to make them the most well off. They could be incorrect in that. But then, you know, there's the question of information cost and not having knowledge and that sort of thing. And so if you maybe you could separate these two things as, you know, your preference and your happiness are different things. But if you put them together, then what I see is sort of like a, a, a description of the world. Uh, because if everyone's always doing the thing that they think is going to make them the best off, and that's also happiness, well, then yes, we're hedonists. But, you know, you could give any label and say that people just do the thing that they want to do. And so is there any contents in that? Or is it that reveal preference and happiness aren't the same thing, according to most hedonist philosophers? Um, well, every hedonist will say that uh, a lot of people are often wrong about what makes them happy. Okay. Right. Um, and, I mean, you know, we're all wrong about what makes us happy often, right? Um, well, okay, let me bring the faith part into this because I, I think sin is fun and makes me happy sometimes in different ways. Not necessarily all sins, of course, but uh, so I'm thinking about the tension between, you know, some people think, some atheists, some of my atheist friends might look at that and say, well, why would you want to do that? that that's not very fun, you know, waking up, going to church or whatever. But then once you do come to faith, um, you have a, a little bit different appreciation and you can, you find fun in that activity too. So again, I'm probably just applying it, but I, I'm trying to see where that, that hedonist view with happiness and how it's defined. Um, I find my dad is visiting this weekend and, and he's often been asked by people, why are you so happy? And for him, it was as a Christian, he's, he's set, you know, and he just kind of, went about his life and and people saw that as he worked and would ask him questions and he kind of came to faith a little bit later in life but um so I, i'm just wondering if uh where that fits into this conversation well john piper who is a, a relatively well-known preacher sort of sort of a reformed christian preacher um has this idea actually of christian hedonism and so what what piper says or how, how he goes about it is that uh, God is most happy when we're happy with the things that he gives us. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is, of course, uh, not, you know, go out and do you know, a bunch of sinful things and be happy from it. But it's that, you know, when you spend time with friends and you enjoy it or you get a nice new car or something like that, um, you should be happy about that because, you know, God gave us certain gifts on earth. And if you enjoy that, then you're, and as long as you give glory to God for that enjoyment, mm -hmm. uh, then that's actually a positive thing. And so I, I was always a little bit, um, you know, uncomfortable with the, the word hedonism in there. But now understanding this like broader philosophical concept that, that just kind of mentions, it actually makes a lot more sense to me uh, in that context of uh, being happy because God wants you to be happy and how that makes him happy. I think that's an interesting idea. Um, if I had to quibble with Piper, I would say that, uh, you know, measuring individuals' happiness is notoriously difficult. It's very, very hard. You know, we can talk about utiles or, you know, maximizing whatever. Um, and for as hard as maximizing an individual's happiness is, I can't even understand what it would mean to maximize God's happiness. Um, <laughs> so uh, maybe we should segue into why I think hedonism is 
false and you can attack me for my arguments. Okay, and you can yeah. leave it as a cliffhanger because yeah. we're coming up close to our break. We're not quite there, but yeah, yeah. Why don't you tee us up for that and we'll hit that in the second half. Cool. No, go ahead. No, no. I, I'd say tee us up. Go ahead and... Okay. Yeah. Uh, hedonism <laughs> is false. Okay. <laughs> hedonism is false. Give us a little teaser here. Hedonism is the theory that the only ingredient to well-being is happiness and that you are well off to the extent that you are happy. And that is not the case. Uh, there are more ingredients to um, to well-being than just happiness. Yeah. Um, and two, which I think are um, obvious upon uh, contemplation, are authenticity um, and autonomy. Okay. I think that sounds like a good place to go for a break because I, I feel like we've already talked. Some of me trying to apply some of that also shows that it's not all about happiness. So I think I'm going to agree with you most likely, even though I am a hedonist at heart. So, all right, we'll take a break there. Be back in 30 seconds. By 2030, the Gortney Institute will be known for its alumni, supporters, and participants who incorporate economic understanding with their faith in their careers, vocations, communities, and personal lives. The Institute will be a nationally recognized source for knowledge and contributions to student experience society's understanding of private and public solutions to poverty, and the overlap of markets, governance, and faith. Young audiences will look to the Institute for challenging and engaging education on faith and economics. Please visit our website at 123povertysucks.org. There you will find our events, blog, and our swag shop. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 123povertysucks or on Facebook at Gortney Institute for updates on our activities and research. If you enjoy our podcast and want to support our work, please consider a one-time or recurring donation. Please visit donate.123povertysucks.org. All right, welcome back. And we're continuing on with hedonism, which Justin says in a, as a theory of happiness is just plain wrong. So Justin, you teed us up with that. Uh, what are you thinking? Uh, so you said hedonism as a theory of happiness is wrong. Hedonism as a theory of well-being is wrong, mm. right? Um, okay, yeah. Distinguishing well-being from happiness or whatever. Okay. Yes, yeah. uh, and hedonism is the theory that they're the same thing. Yeah. And what I'm saying is they're not. Um, so one uh, way that I think you can illustrate this is if we do say that happiness is a kind of psychological state that you have immediate access to and that, you know, you, you're happy to the extent that, you know, you believe that you're happy. I contend that uh, authenticity, meaning that your happiness is based on true beliefs, is also a component um, to well-being. And so we can think about somebody who's very happy because Let's say they, uh, you know, they believe that they are in, you know, a loving marriage and um, they believe that they are, you know, have these kids that, uh, you know, will continue. Five little angels. Yeah, five little angels who will continue on, uh, <laughs> you know, their dynasty or whatever. Um, but uh, now let's suppose that uh, this person's wife has been cheating on them right. for many, many years. The truth comes his kids, and his, those kids are all doing drugs or whatever. Yeah. Um, now, uh, you can say that person is extremely happy, right? Um, now, we can also postulate next to that person an identical person who is 
as happy because they have those same beliefs that, uh, you know, I'm in a loving marriage, etc. And we can say that a uh, person too actually is in a loving marriage and all those beliefs are true, right? So yeah. same amounts of happiness, right? Um, but in the one case, those, that happiness is based on false beliefs. And in the other case, that happiness is based on true beliefs. And if I ask you which person is more well off, which person would you rather be? Which, which, which adds in, I guess the thing I would think of is it adds this future component to it. So which of the two people are well off? Like at this point in time, historically up to that point in time, which of these two people are better off? Maybe they're the same. But as us standing back, knowing the truth, the one that has the good wife versus the bad wife, we're predicting as economists that that could run into, there's, there's a probability that that happiness could end in the future shorthandedly. And so we're saying that person's better off. Isn't that what you're thinking? Well, what's kind of confusing to me is it's almost that I can't step back like behind a veil of ignorance and actually choose between these two people uh, because I don't have an identical mindset to the one person who thinks that he's uh, in a true relationship where he's not being cheated on because I know he's not. And so I can't say, well, I'm okay with being that person because I know something that that person does not know. Uh, so I can't actually put myself in to his mindset to actually make the decision uh, of being in his position of being cheated on because I know that I, I would be being cheated on. If and I'm just saying that in terms of me saying which one's more well off, the one with the good wife is more well off because he's less likely to have that happiness end into the future. That is so it's what almost all you're saying. Oh, no, he's not well off because he might become yeah, unhappy. Yeah, yeah. Later, right, 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 right. And I am saying, no, he is less well off at that time, even. Mm. Uh, Why? Because his happiness is based on false beliefs. Who cares? Um, so, uh, <laughs> I mean, I would care. I don't, yeah, uh, but you but, won't know until exactly. Yeah. So, 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 yeah. so that's the hedonist defense, right? Okay. But you yeah. won't know. Okay. And since happiness is the only thing that matters, who cares? Yeah. Now, anybody, I contend that if you ask anybody which one they would rather be out of those two people with the same psychological states. So here is what I would say to uh, to you, Peter, when you say I can't put myself, um, I can't think my way into the brain of the person who's wife is cheating on them, I say, well, can you think your way into the brain of the person whose wife isn't cheating on them? And if you say yes, I go, well, the thought experiment stipulates that they have the same psychological state. So if you can think your way into one of them, you have thereby thought your way into both of them. I have a second question. Then. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, so off that same line, so it seems like then, uh, and, and I, th I think there's certainly, certainly something to it that there's multiple ingredients, but it also seems like there's sort of a trade-off going on here where um, you don't necessarily, uh, if it were costless, then you would want the maximal amount of truth. Um, but in reality, truth is actually very costly. It's something that you have to research on. And so you could be uh, someone who thinks that your wife is, you know, not cheating on you and you decide to pursue that truth to the end. And so you install cameras all over your house and you hire someone to follow her around and you do all sorts of crazy things. Uh, but it seems like this would run up against the, the happiness ingredient, which I think is at least a legitimate part of well-being. And so do you see, do you think there's a trade-off between these different components where you can't pursue maximal truth without giving some happiness and maybe vice versa as well? Of course. And, uh, 
your question makes me glad because it means I've already won the argument. <laughs> so, uh, wow, I'm so, so lost. I think that, uh, of course, happiness is an ingredient to well-being. Um, it yeah, definitely sure. is. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, the whole argument is just that there, you know, uh, there are other ingredients to well-being and, you know, we have to try to figure out how to balance those. Um, you know, we all think that we are probably slightly better looking than we are. Um, you know, it's it's probably good to believe that or, you know, whatever. Um, so uh, truth, though it is a component of well-being, um, sometimes does have to be managed against happiness. And I mean, if you can think about, uh, you know, putting, you know, instead of following your wife around, I mean, we both have small children. You can talk about, you know, the monitors that you have in, in your kid's room. It's like, well, um, at what point do you want to just believe that your kids are okay for the night and go to sleep? Um, so, so I'm kind of want to come back to your thought experiment though. So I'm almost starting to buy into it, but so I, I <laughs> are we looking at this as an external observer when you say which one's more well off? They might be kind of equally happy, the one who's being deceived and the one who's not. But from a holistic standpoint, are we talking about being an external observer to that to say this person's well-being is higher? We are stipulating that subjectively they have the identical psychological states, right? And we are saying objectively, like from a third yes. person perspective, but it's still an which external objective opinion. is more well off. Who is who has a life that is more worth leading? That is what well being is is supposed to uh, okay. uh, encompass, right? Um, and I mean this this actually has uh, um, implications for things like you know government policy, where you know we want to maximize well being. Well, should we just maximize happiness then? Why not give everyone a button, you know, that just dis distributes cocaine and they can just, you know, press that button as much as they want, right? Um, and so, uh, you know, oftentimes we think that, no, uh, we don't just want, you know, happiness if that's based on delusions, right? We, we would rather not be, I mean, I would rather not be delusionally happy than, um, you know, moderately happy, but, you know, having a grip on the way the world actually is. We're, we're writing the thought of matrix right now, I think. Um, <laughs> this, but this does lead me to, to kind of a, another question, which is that, is it the reason that we, so we've got our thought experiment with our two people, is the reason that we choose one over the other in this circumstance, because in the abstract, we understand that if we knew it, that we would be more happy. So mm -hmm. I guess what I'm asking is, does it really ultimately is, can we not escape happiness in our own thinking? And so we think which of the two would make us more happy given that we know about them. I guess I'm asking is, does truth actually fall under, uh, and maybe happiness together fall under the same net of utility? Or do you think that this is something like truth is entirely separable from happiness or this idea of utility uh, and that we can actually separate it with the thought experiment? Uh, so one move that hedonists sometimes try, try to make is they say, oh, well, that person's really not happy. They only think that they're happy, right? Um, and that's why I stipulated early on that uh, what, we, if, what we mean by happiness is a psychological state that you are um, immediately aware of and, you know, kind of infallible about. Um, so uh, the... The problem with making that move is that you then 
uh, arrive at this kind of view where people can be unhappy but think that they're happy. Um, and then uh, instead of saying that happiness is well-being, what that seems to be is trying to redefine happiness in terms of well-being, right? Saying, I know uh, a priori that happiness is well-being. Because I've defined it as such. <laughs> yeah, and therefore, sure. since this person isn't well off, they're not happy. Sure. Um, I mean, I think that's what I struggle with. So uh, Vernon Smith wrote a book, Humanomics. Have you read that? Yeah, yeah, it's a great okay. book. Yeah, and we did a, a student group thing on it um, before, and I still want to throw stuff into a utility function, basically. Uh, but I think he's similarly making that same argument that it's it, it, the utility function doesn't work. And I, I'm I'm almost there with him. And since he is a Nobel laureate, maybe I should just you know go right along with him. But I'm not that way. <clears throat> so I still want to, and I think that's what I was kind of doing with you too, with the whole future, if something changed, there's contingencies and we can kind of slam that in. And I think at some point Vernon Smith said uh, in the book, uh, you can always, after the fact, uh, put something into a utility function, which is kind of what I'm doing. But from an economist prediction standpoint, there's too much of real life going on that you can't a priori put something into the utility function. And that's what makes it this extra level of complexity. Yeah, I, I tell my students all the time when they, they'll often bring up in class, well, why do we have these simplifying assumptions? You know, the idea of a utility function is too simple, there's too many variables. And I say, well, there's a really great model out there that explains everything perfectly and doesn't leave out any details. Uh, and it's called the world. The problem with the world is that we can't actually understand it. And so we do have to simplify and, you know, uh, take things out of the utility function. And we lose some truth because of that. But there, you know, there's no other way to capture the world than to simplify and to abstract away from some of those things. Well, it's lies that tell the truth, right? That's right. Yeah. I think Deidre McCloskey, among others, might want to put love somewhere in this realm, too, that we can't slam it into a happiness function, that love is kind of stands apart from it. Again, I'm not sure I buy into all that. I still want to slam stuff into some sort of happiness function, but um, I think she would also argue that sometimes it doesn't make us happy, but it makes our well-being maybe higher. Is it, would, would, would love fall into that for you? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, th yeah. I think that there are many ingredients to well-being. Um, happiness is one, love is one, authenticity is one, autonomy is one. Uh, being autonomy to, so that could free the liberty yeah. Um, yeah but uh you know uh and i think you will find uh many many petty tyrants who will say that since happiness is the only thing that is important and we know how to maximize happiness we're going to force you to do x mm -hmm. um, and uh my contention is that well-being is a kind of primitive concept. It isn't a concept which we can define in terms of simpler concepts. Um, it is one of those foundational concepts um, which we can understand by relating to other concepts, but which itself does not admit of a kind of um, reductive definition. Mm -hmm. Happiness is also one of those things. Right. So, yeah. right. And maybe the most important thing, but... <laughs> See, now I want to, I want to take your autonomy, authenticity, love, uh, happiness, and now I want to make a pie, and I want to put, okay, 90% is happiness, 
And then you got 10% that you can divvy up among love, authenticity, and autonomy. <laughs> what I don't think you understand is you have just handed me the argument. <laughs> if that's correct, and even if happiness is not your, if there's any percent, right. it isn't happiness. It's not 100%, yeah. Yeah. as far as the hedonist. Yeah. Yeah. I, think, I, think, I think I have to agree with you, Justin, with the definition of happiness being this psychological state that you have in the present about how you feel. Uh, I think certainly that happiness can be the only component to well-being. I would say, and maybe this would bother you because it's maybe simplifying things again away from that primitive concepts, that well-being is maximized by goods being maximized. And so happiness is a good because, and I define a good as anything we prefer more of rather than less. So love is a good, happiness is a good, truth is a good. Mm-hmm. Um, autonomy is a good. Autonomy is good. Authenticity, yeah. yeah, so. yeah. And so uh, I, certainly the psychological state is not the, the end that I think uh, needs to be pursued to pursue maximum well-being. And I don't know what things, you know, some people might consider love to be a bad. And so that's a little bit tricky too, is that people might have different goods and bads out there. Uh, but I would say maybe well-being is this, the state of getting more goods, uh, whereas not well-being is the state of having less or having more bads. Where I would press you on that is this idea that you can define well-being in terms of preference. And I have a feeling that if I pressed you enough on what preference means, you we might uh, define that in terms of well-being. Does that make sense? That there would be uh, some circularity between the two definitions. Yeah, and so that's my contention that look, well-being is just a primitive concept. Uh, we, you know, we know what it is and uh, we can't define it in terms of other things, but by even relating it to terms like preference, um, we can uh, show what it is rather than um, define it in reductive. Like, you know, a bachelor is a male who's unmarried, right? Uh, but at some point, those reductive definitions have to bottom out. Right. And they bottom out uh, in these primitive concepts. And my contention is that happy, uh, well-being is one of those. Yeah. Mises points out you always need an ultimate given in any sort of conversation. So maybe that to, to you, certainly well-being would be the ultimate given. And I think that, that there could be a good argument that <clears throat> if we define preference, we might have to get into well-being. So would the hedonists come back, because this might be me, uh, and say, for the each individual, though, if you can put on a scale of autonomy, authenticity, and put some sort of weight or metric on how important that is to you kind of going back to my pie chart or whatever all these things that are goods and if it increases over here this happiness equals this function of goods um then are we back to the is that the hedonist defense of that somehow and and then that that hedonist you don't even know yourself that well to be able to put a metric maybe on autonomy or authenticity does that come into play that there's too much uncertainty for that to be defined and that's precisely the argument the hedonists can't say you don't know yourself well enough to do blah 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 because the point of hedonism is that you do know you're happy since happiness is something that you are immediately aware of you know you, this kind of self-knowledge is presumed in the hedonist argument for the most part what the hedonist will say to me when i present these cases for autonomy and um you know, authenticity is they'll go, yeah, those things are valuable because most of the time they make you happy. Uh, and they are valuable insofar as they make you happy. But when they don't make you happy, then they're not valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the hedonist. All right, we're going to let Dr. Clark have last word here today. So uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, no, yeah, that was good. That was good. It was a good wrap up of, of that. And on my final pushback, so... Dr. Clark wins. Imagine that the philosopher wins on philosophy over the economist. So 
Uh, thank you all for listening. This has been a production of the Gortney Institute here at Ottawa University. And if you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating so that other people can find this type of content on the big World Wide Web. Other than that, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks.